and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. Hopefully you're listening in good health and good cheer, possibly sometime around the holidays or something that will pass for a holiday when you actually download this. It should be around a holiday. I think it's between the two holidays. Look, someone could download this in the middle of July. You know that. But but that's beside the point. Beside that point, what we have today is a special interview edition. We love our interviews, and we're actually really jazzed to be joined by three of the people behind the Battle Lords of the 23rd Century Kickstarter for the, I believe, seventh edition that just came out. And so I'd like to go ahead and welcome Kurt, Dave, and Tony to Seize the GM. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thank for you. having us on. Indeed. Well, you know what? I think we're just going to dive right in because we've got a whole bunch of questions. I came up with some. It's one of those things. You do. You always do. But, all right. Super, super simple question. I have to ask this because I have, you, you guys were so generous as to give us copies of both the core rulebook and the new just closed Kickstarter for uh what is it charlie Charlie foxtrot so i'm gonna ask who on the team is either current or prior military of us actually uh of of the the current writer setup none of us are Believe it or not, but the originator of the game system um, was uh, Larry Sims, who wrote Battle Wars originally, was a U.S. Army um, veteran. And that's where all of those military uh, themes in the book come from, is from uh, uh, from Larry. Uh, I, I, I train with a lot of military personnel for other reasons, but uh, not in the military uh, as such. Okay. Yep. And I have a, a number of family members and, and grew up as a Navy brat. So moving around uh, from naval base to naval base for at least the first seven, eight years of life was uh, interesting, to say the least. Okay. The reason I ask is because I'm prior military. And when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Somebody was in the military. <laughs> Yeah, and so if you haven't figured out listening along, Battle Lords very much has a, a militaristic sci-fi bend to it. 23rd century, future tech, mil- some military components to it, but gentlemen, elevator pitch, how would you describe Battle Lords of the 23rd century if someone has not had the pleasure of encountering it in the past 30 years? No. Oh. Uh, there's a lot of ways of describing it. Um, Battle Lords of the 23rd Century is originally envisioned by Larry Sims. 
Uh, you take a little bit of something like a Starfleet Troopers, mix in a little bit of, say, Fifth Element, add a little bit of something like uh, Firefly being out on the fringe all by yourself, trying to make a difference. Uh, and those are different scenario, uh, scenarios you can get into in this game system. So there's a, a heavy military kind of a background, um, and uh, there's a lot of other al uh, alternative gameplay types available now, all mixed together. Nice. It is pretty, pretty. Uh, it's it's not a simple system. It, it's fair to say it's on the crunchier side of that's a systems these days. And when I do have questions, if the three three of you should have some different answers when I get down to some of the fun ones. So so I'm expecting I'm expecting to hear from all of the class. So you you've been put on notice. Uh -huh. Yeah, we, we like to call it uh, a tactical role-playing. It definitely rewards those who um, dig into the system. Um, yeah, it is not a rules-light system, um, but the nice thing about the system is it's scalable. If you don't want that much crunch, you can scale it down. We have a lot of people who run it with just the quick start rules, and we have a lot of people who go the other direction and pretty much turn it into a uh, tactical board game. Uh, so you can uh, you can run it however you want. Well, and at its base level... I was going to say one of the running jokes within uh, within our, our group here is that at some point we really need to make for that for those people who like to really push the boundaries we need to make the air quotes hackmaster version where it's just over the top. Yeah, uh, it, the core rulebook kind of clocks in at over five hundred pages, so it, it's a hefty tome, and it's basically a, a percentile system with a roll under mechanic, and so it's about how you get there and all of the bits and fiddly bits, you could say, that can affect a, a lot of that from, you know, kind of looking through the system. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, the intent of it is just because a lot of people are familiar with D&D, just to kind of use it as an analogy. Um, the intent was to give somebody that gets from first level, 20th level, and covers both player handbook, uh, dungeon master or game master guide, and then uh, Monster Manual or Critter Guide. So it's got all of those components together. We wanted to make sure we had something that gives a little bit of everything, so that way people could start off with pointy sticks, or they can start off with mecha. And you just kind of pick where you want to play and go. And you start off I mean, with everything you need. You could also make a Ram Python who has both, but that's a discussion of the world itself. Usually they use Absolutely. a blunt stick, but sure. Pointy works. <laughs> Or, or another player character. But do you have giant spoons that they can use? Everything is scalable. I am sure. <laughs> at a certain level, I'm sure Uncle Ernie has helped make some uh, bioengineered organic spoons that will grow somewhere that they can use at that scale. But <laughs> one of the things I do like is that while it's called Battle Lords, and, and we actually already mentioned that there's you know a strong military sci-fi background to it uh, the gm section is first i think fantastic in, in the core rule book uh, discusses other types of campaigns besides just a uh, straight military or mercenary group setting and before you know i kind of wax poetic about the setting itself what are each of your favorite kind of non-standard campaigns and character 
that you like to play with to kind of give a an idea of the the flavors that exist in that universe in your heads. The uh, the one I usually I mean mercenaries is everybody's go to, but I uh, the the twist I use on that is. Um, uh, basically share for, for hire. Uh, that's one of my favorite. You get some rich guy who owns his own planet, and so he wants to hire a local police force, and he hires your characters to be the sheriffs, uh, who, of, of course, are uh, completely unsuitable and untrained to do the job. Uh, and uh, one of the other things I throw at them is, uh, uh, is as the guy is you know leaving in his luxury yacht, he's like, well, you know, you guys just make up the laws uh, as you see fit to, to, uh, uh, to keep to keep the peace, and of course, hilarity uh, ensues. <laughs> Probably in very short order too. <laughs> yeah. That that Ooh, sounds so way. tempting. Now I now I like want to play or run that setup. Who, who let the Ram Python be in charge again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was actually one of the. Um, uh, one of the episodes in Charlie Foxtrot um, really kind of uh, played into what I like, which is uh, a nanite swarm was going to try to destroy the Mazakan homeworld. And so this nanite swarm, we call them Atlanteans, is getting ready to you know do her final uh, attack on the, Atl- on the Mazakan homeworld, and our guys just happen to wander in. <laughs> and and in stopping it, high drive. <laughs> yeah. So now you've got this, you know, multi-century living creature coming after them, and they're, you know, if they're smart, they're running. But uh, most the, players the, are not are not what we would refer to as that usually. They're like exactly we can kill it right. My uh, my favorite, um, go off a little bit of a tangent, I, you're exactly correct. Most players do not run. We usually have to kick the crap out of one of them with the Atlantean before they realize that they're out of their league. I ran that scenario one year at Gen Con uh, two years ago, and the player driving the truck took one look at it, went, nope, total party kill, and turned the truck around. And drove away to the protest of everybody else in the group. I was like, "We got this. Wow. We got this." No, yep. no, we don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can still do this. We can still do this. Uh, no, you can well, stay there. I'm going. One of the most interesting parts of that is um, for that particular uh, episode. We we literally, or you know, um, adventure. We literally took uh, characters from all different. Okay. We're like, okay. Chatillions are usually during the mind. What happens if you make somebody that can read minds, your psychologist. And, and that's kind of the bent I went with it as I put this together. And so we've got different things, uh, different species, all doing stuff that they normally shouldn't do. Like the Maisian doctor. You don't even want to think about what he does with, without tools. Um, yeah. The shape shifter. And then, you know, the, the classic fight, they're usually uh, a, a combat machine and he's out there checking crops. Yeah, I, I have I have a question that involves thoughts later, but uh, I think something that maybe we ought to do is talk a little about the world because we've all jumped into using uh, some of the lingo and, and species and descriptions from Battle Lords. And if, like I said, someone listening to this has not played, what do they need to know about the setting that will just 
drive them immediately to the link in the show notes to your website to buy this book. So Battle Wars takes place in the 23rd century, hence the title Battle Wars of the 23rd century, where you have these dozen or so species who are loosely allied together uh, to defend their alliance from an invading horde of techno-organic monstrosities um, that we call the arachnids, because the guys who run the the horde look like sort of giant spiders. Um, They're more centaur-like, but they call them arachnids. Uh, And so you get to pick one of these, uh, you know, two dozen or so species to play in the game, and uh, the 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 alliance is actually run by uh, mega corporations. It's a very capitalistic uh, uh, setting. So you're a grunt in the trenches using equipment built by the lowest bidder uh, to work for a boss who considers you an expendable asset. <laughs> <laughs> that's that sort of sums battle lords up uh in a nut, the setting uh in a nutshell you forgot to mention that if you want to play a cat with a gun on its back running around tearing things up we've got that yeah i say one of the things that i love about the battle lord setting is that it is a unique setting it's not tied to uh, any existing pop culture property and it's not something that you can kind of squint at and see as derivative of, you know, our, our standard fantasy or, or sci-fi settings. And so some of these species, like mentioning, you know, the shapeshifters and cat people and the ram pythons, who are the larger, more likely to be violent uh, reptilian lizard people and the fots. And the, these are uh, unique and rich with story potential that you have inherited. Yes, and and we definitely tried to make the most of that. Um, and it's funny that you, you're talking about the fantasy setting because uh, one of the new species that's been uh, put in, the Rosette, actually used to be purple tinker, purple tinker gnomes. And we all kind of looked at it and said, no, no, not in space. Let's change them up. <laughs> so, uh, so they've been rebranded and uh, got a new look. And all that, uh, but they still are very good at, at tinkering with items. Um, but part of that, I mean, before I don't know if you've read the previous editions, but they were there wasn't a whole lot of backstory on the species, and so one of the things we really tried to do was give you, you know, a lot of information on the species, how they run their their own governments outside the alliance, and you know how they interact with each other, because that was something that we felt was missing. And it gives place people a great place to start on, you know, putting your own worlds together and, you know, uh, bouncing between worlds, trying to stay one one step ahead of the law. And as someone who loves political intrigue, it is something that really was uh, wonderful to kind of read and see because it gave me all all of the options that I could possibly want to uh, engage in political intrigue and shenanigans as as far as that goes. And you mentioned the Alliance and all of these species, including humans are, you know, allied together against the, are we at the third invasion of the arachnids? I think Uh, as of Charlie Foxtrot. Yeah. It's the, we're at the, we're at the beginning of the third. And so you've got that, you know, the, the classic fragile peace and alliance uh, of different species working together. Uh, one of the 
kind of fun questions that, that I kind of wanted to one of the design issues I wanted to mention is that, like you said, it's the game is scalable, and I like how your sidebars say, uh, for more crunch, if, if you want a crunchier rule, here is a way to add the complexity, um, and very clearly point that out. But from a kind of a story standpoint, from a setting standpoint, the three Gs really are, are part of the aesthetic to envision for uh, battle lords, you know, grime, gear, and graffiti. Outside of those, what images do you have that you think have to be there for it to be battle lords in your head? I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think one of the things we talk about uh, graffiti and grime and just really setting within people's heads, kind of a, a thought of what you're dealing with. I, I think a key thing is to think in terms of what you see in like Blade Runner scenes or um, Altered Carbon or um, Fifth Element, where you've got some fantastically large um, buildings and at the top, life is amazing, right? Amazing pool, they get free, you know, all the sun they want, blah, blah, blah. Life is, life's amazing if you're rich. And then you've got everyone else who lives in the, in the smog that's, that's just, you know, barely killing people. Um, so you've got that dichotomy of, of rich and not rich. And if you're in life is great. And if you're not, it's not. And, and, and just to clarify, not, none of the characters are going to be in. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's going to be in. Um, yeah. but that, but, but, you know, much like today where sports is, for example, and, and an opportunity to get from wherever you start very quickly to, to being pretty powerful and, and, and well-known, in battle lords becoming a battle lord is a way of becoming very well known and, and very well respected and having a lot of power political and otherwise so i just try to help people frame within their heads what we've got in terms of a, of a world there's there's no there's not a lot of osha here there's a war going on and people are focused on that and yeah people really shouldn't be dying at that right in that factory but are they getting everything out of the door that they need to yeah. okay then we're not going to worry about it I got other things to worry about. Yeah, like anything that's, you know, <laughs> not that. It's on a corporate planet. We don't have to worry about them. Yes. When that uh, part is something else that's part of the setting is the, the use of the mega corporations and that there is, you know, the alliance and, and nominal governments, but also a number of mega corporate entities that, you know, employ mercenary troops and are a big part of the setting and are part of all the way back to Mr. Sim's original conception and, and some one of those themes about, you know, unchecked capitalism run amok. So which is your favorite corporation to inject into a game? Has to be SSDC for me. Yeah, I mean, SSDC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the, the, there's a reason they have a fifty percent attrition rate, but the signing bonus is awesome. <laughs> and just think, if you make it, you'll be up up there in the stratosphere in terms of money and wealth and power. If you make it, sign right here. Well, he will wash the blood out of the armor for you. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure it'll fit just fine. It, it'll fit, yeah. We can make it fit if it doesn't. And remember, it's not a question of if you die or when you die or how often. It's can you afford to come back and we'll just add a little to your contract. It'll be fine. 
And I think that's another fun part of the game is that character death, while in a crunchy game that very much has a retro feel, both in terms of the universe and the setting, the technology is advanced enough that you can come back. That hat box is where you stick a severed head because there's tech to regrow an entire body from a head if you get it there fast enough and cold enough. So you've got a real story potential. But like the hat box, it's a gear-heavy game. So for each of you, what's your favorite piece of gear to put on your character sheet? I, I guess my thing to throw out there is not just because of the way that the game's built. It, there's a certain aspect like Magic the Gathering where a piece of gear isn't necessarily as cool as how several can interact together or, or two can interact together. Um, so there are weapon systems that if you start to combine them really make your life interesting, depending on the target you're hitting. Um, there's a bit of an almost rock, paper, scissors kind of a feel with the way that the combat mechanic works. So it encourages you to really start to play around with different weapon systems and have people kind of vary things up. So you don't end up with exactly the same kind of a mix, which leaves you vulnerable to attacks of a different type. Yeah. In, that, in, oh, good, Kurt. I was going to say that being said, always get a flux shield. My favorite piece of gear, because I think it sort of epitomizes the setting that you're an expendable soldier and that they're going to do whatever they can to keep you, um, keep you running. I mean, it's bad enough if you're wounded and the medic comes over and he pulls that hat box out and you know, he's going to put it on your head and decapitate you and freeze you, which is horrific in its own. Um, but what I think is worse is the, um, the limb loss system in your armor, which prevents you from bleeding out or going into shock if you lose a limb. So if you get an arm blown off, you just get a little telltale in your HUD that says, you know, you've lost the functionality in your left arm. Don't worry about it. We've taken care of it. Uh, you don't feel anything, but you know it's not there anymore. <laughs> I was like, that is horrific, but it is so in tune with the setting. It's like, ah, you lost the leg. You're fine. Keep going. Shoot at that thing over there. We'll grow you a new one. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't include the, uh, the, the helpful AI. Oh, yeah. that's okay. We just had a happy little accident over there, but I've taken care of that. It's no problem now. See, we can add this and we can fix this later. It'll, it'll be fine. We'll just close that off. You won't even notice a thing. It'll be fine. Yeah, the hey, limb no dodge that. Yeah, the limb loss system and, and some of the charts remind me of uh, Rollmaster critical tables back in the day. Uh, for anyone who's familiar with those, where you would be told that you did successfully sever the foe's weapon arm or turns them into a pile of goo, uh, or, you know, breaks bones and knocks the foe down for extra hits, and they're stunned and unable to parry. Uh, it, it, there's a there's an ultra-violence component to parts of Battle Lords, but I think it's balanced by some of the, the kind of dark humor that permeates the, the system and the setting. And I wondered if that uh, was something you could kind of comment on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys saw that because yes that was wholly intentional um yeah at some point it become the, the the combat system is very grim and gritty and like you said the critical hit chart you know it enters eye exits back of skull um head blown off and you don't run around like a chicken um it's it's very gritty and gory and the dark humor in the system is to sort of 
uh, you know, soften that blow. Like, okay, yeah, it's 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 horrific, but you know, it's not something that we want you to. You know, we we didn't want it to be off-putting. Um, so yeah, that that dark humor is in there specifically to sort of soften uh, some of the grittiness of the of the setting. And any time that you have a group that's going to be experiencing that, whether it's nurses, uh, men on the battlefield, our first responders, we all get that dark sense of humor because if we can't laugh about some 80 year old dementia patient running down the hallway with his gown half off and his balls slapping on his knees, then you know we can't, then what's the point? It's just so demoralizing. And so, um, so made a mention Kurt's a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> we mentioned and, that before. And and it's so sad to see, you know, this person doing this that, who would never do that or act like that normal. The same thing, you know, when you see your best friend die or you see, you know, somebody shot and you know your fingers, the only thing keeping them from bleeding out, that kind of, you know, you got to make a joke because otherwise um, you just, you just, your mind just starts cracking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually, you know what? A lot of those. Uh, charts reminded me of were things like you could imagine this is like pulled straight out of the movie for like the the just crazy amounts of ultra violence and like oh my god what is going on but it's all done in like this super dark sarcastic like version of reality and I want to say that I believe the game predates the movie Starship Troopers, not the book. Yes, not the book. Yes, <laughs> but the movie. Yeah, because the book was trying to be very, very serious about it, whereas the movie was like, this is satire. Just watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that hits on another point uh, we kind of mentioned earlier, that this is a game with 30 years of history, uh, including, you know, an entry into the mid-90s collectible card game era. Uh, that's a history unto itself but with 30 years of history how would you say that battle lords has changed and stayed the same to that you know late 80s early 90s uh, product or vision a lot of our goal in the seventh edition was to really update the game um to to i want to say modern production standards uh, I don't know that the setting or the game has changed that much. One, one of our goals was to streamline and simplify the rules, but with but still keeping it what you know what made Battle Wars Battle Wars. We didn't want to change it that dramatically, but I, most of it I think was bringing it up to modern production standards. Um, uh, better editing, full color artwork, um, full color throughout the book, hardback. Um, I mean, the last book that came out before Seventh Edition was soft cover, black and white interior, um, and uh, the, the, those were, I think, a lot of the big changes um, that that we wanted to make. And well, expansion. And we did some expanding. Um, I think the one of the obvious ones was the uh, the inclusion of, of starships because we always had this odd thing when it first came out of you, you have a, a science fiction. Um, setting in the far future with lots and lots of worlds and really not a lot about how you get from place to place or what happens if you get caught between the two. Um, so one of the things we, we wanted to do is, is bring that out um, so that people could play 
um, at space combat. Um, but then again, to Tony's point, one of the core things about this is really that um, you have a group of people, um, and let's be very clear, some of these species have centuries of warfare against each other, so they're not exactly happy to be with each other. But on a team, you don't have a choice. It's either you are working together or you're dying together. And, and so you have this thing where you have all this about the team being created out of these different people um, who have different, very different perspectives sometimes, but they have to work together. And so when we created the space combat system, we had to keep that element. So it, it, it colored everything we've got going on. Um, we made changes just making sure we didn't tinker with that. That was kind of one of our, our core you know, assumptions. We would not change that. Yeah, I was going to say, because last time I played Battlelords was um, third, I think third edition? Way back in the day. And I think I just found it at random, and I'm like, okay, the cover is cool. I have to buy this book. <laughs> is it the red cover with the the uh, the Fentari, the, the, the squid alien on the, uh, on the cover? Mm, I don't remember. <laughs> It was there have been a few editions. A long time ago, and a lot of alcohol was probably involved when I got it. Because I think that was around the time that I was in the service when I found it. So, yeah, there was a lot of booze. So I don't really remember. I think I've looked it up one time because when I first started looking at this, and I, I think it's either third or fourth edition. It was one of the two. So, but yeah, and I mean, it was, it was gritty and dark, but it wasn't as the world was like the world building didn't really exist in the book. In that first core book, you had to do a whole lot of digging in other places to find anything. And this was back before the internet was really, really taking off. So like, early 90s so it was you do, you couldn't just go to a website and find all this cool stuff that people you know fans had written or anything else even so it was it was like if the company didn't make it you didn't get it unless you made it yourself and so that was like the world building that you guys have incorporated is really cool because now you don't have to just completely guess what is going on with these, you know, why, why are there all of these races that seem like they don't like each other still working together, but you never knew why they didn't like each other. It was just like, it was like a bullet point on a, on a page about, Oh yeah, I don't like these guys. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's one thing that we had to do too, was kind of go through all the various books, uh, looking all over the place, looking at notes and stuff along those lines and put that all together to come up with what's in there as far as describing each species and their habitats and everything else, uh, how the Alliance is working, you know, cause I mean, uh, you look at it, the squids there every once in a while you hear the Fintari referred to, you know, as squids, but you also hear them about the dominion basically. And, um, what is that? Nobody knows. It's their former government. So, you know, it, it's literally kill or be killed. 
Um, and it really doesn't change much because those at the top are really good at what they do. So yeah, um, it it's how, you know, how is that going to work for the game setup? Well, now it's up to the DMS cause you have a description, you know, what it's going, you know, what corporations are there. Yeah. I'm Enjoy. glad to, exactly. Yeah. Where those didn't exist before. I'm, you guys commented initially on the, the game master section. I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody liked that because yeah, that was one of the areas that we had to greatly expand. Um, because as you mentioned with the prior editions, there wasn't a whole lot there. And uh, having run Battle Wars for 30 years, that was always my gripe. You got this cool game, and you got to the end, and the game master section was basically a "There you go, go run a game." <laughs> it was like, wait, what? I, you know, I need a little, need a little background, need a little structure. So that was our goal when we wrote that game master section to give you, you know, you can try this, you can try this. This is these are these are the themes. Uh, you know, you, these reoccurring themes. You can, you know, this is what the setting is like. These are the places that you can go. Um, so that was, yeah, that was our goal in the in this current edition for for that particular chapter. Longtime listeners will know that I am a sucker for themes and, and recurring ideas. And so when I got to the GM's chapter and saw a, here are the five themes that you can come back to time and time again that underlie all of this game, I, I jumped in the air and clicked my heels together and said, thank you, thank you. Uh, but while you have expanded the universe a lot, it's also still a pretty big place and the milky way is not fully full that's a fleshed out or filled in what area or what part of that battle lord's universe do you most want to hear about fans filling in what are you excited about that's what blank part of the map are you excited about the players at tables getting to fill in i think any expansion that the um the the old versions that was one thing we changed in the seventh edition the prior versions of the game um the battle lord setting um uh, spanned multiple galaxies and coupled with the there it is go play uh mentality in the game master section we're like this is too much <laughs> it's too open um so we sort of pulled it back to the milky way and you're just making toe holds in the other galaxy um so there's plenty of room out there um for for people to develop their own settings i, I would love to see people take some of the ideas we've thrown out there like um uh, stone towns where you have these old abandoned uh, asteroid mines that have been hollowed out and the mines have been abandoned because they're no longer profitable, but the miners never left. And so now there's towns and all of these asteroids floating around out there um, or shadow planets that you can only reach um, at uh, at certain times of the year or from certain remote locations because they're, they're isolated um, uh, f- from our sort of time-space continuum. I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff that I would love people to play with in that book yeah uh so okay now i have not finished i'm about 50 pages into charlie foxtrot but i also flipped through to look at it just in general and there are a ton of i i think there was I don't remember the exact number, but I remember there was a bunch of scenarios with like different groups. You guys basically statted out for each of those scenarios. And you guys had talked about one before. And are those going to end up being 
tied into the meta plot of the universe? And if they are, how? I think some of them will. Uh, you know, some of them are the scenarios. Are one, Charlie Foxtrot is filled with five one-shot scenarios that you could really use for any science fiction game. Um, but the, we wrote them for the Battle Wars um, universe, and they're they're all one-shots. And I think some of those characters are 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 one and done. So you're just gonna you're gonna use them for that scenario if you don't play your own character, and then you're never gonna revisit them. Um, but they still sort of show you how you set up a character with that occupation and that level of income uh and so they're helpful in that way but some of them um will will reappear i'm sure um one of the aspects that we've been working on is um showing people how you can grow in the system in terms of experience and 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 gear as well uh with prior editions there was sort of the you, you like dave said you start with a sharp pointy stick and a bulletproof vest and you, if you got lucky you worked your way up to a laser rifle and, a, and an open face helmet we really wanted players to be able to run the whole gamut uh with the new edition to work your way up from if you know if you wanted to run around in ultra armor which you know basically you know mecha um you could do that it was not in the well you have to play this game for 20 years before you'll ever be able to afford that you know we didn't want to do that <laughs> you know yeah, there are too it feel like that in earlier editions yeah there are too many cool toys at the high end not to be able to use them so i'm sure we'll take some of those characters and build on them as they gain in experience and and prestige and so on and you'll see uh more experienced versions of them uh in, in later supplements and i would add that um it's not just about the specific characters but the events absolutely will yes. get reflected in things so um when we look at um so one of the things that's been a running theme with the various editions of the books and all the supplements is a timeline of events and that's been a pretty typical thing to see in, in the one-off books that have been supplements uh, that have been added over the years um, around the edges and so you'll see events from charlie foxtrot pop up in the uh, gazette of what's happened over the last few you know last couple of years that kind of stuff so you'll you'll definitely see things referencing back to key events that that, that are getting you know, specked out in these uh, these scenarios, they can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, each book we release, we plan on uh, advancing the timeline one year or maybe more forward. And the events in the previous book are reflected in the timeline of the following book. So it is you you are sort of getting getting this building story of what's going on. Nice, yeah. Because I mean, there are some people that love the let like love meta plots. Hello. Yes. And then there are people <laughs> like me that are just like, cool, a metaplot idea, something that I could, if I want to, use, but I don't have to. So, yeah, having the ability to swap things in and out like that, kind of making it somewhat modular is kind of a neat feature of that, where you're just like, oh, yeah, that, di that didn't happen, though. <laughs> I'm just going to drop something then. Um, there's a um, there's an Easter egg that we've intentionally scattered through the core rules. There's alien script that shows up on several pages. And if you that. decipher that, it may give you some understanding of some other meta plot going on. Oh, goody. You have now given me a project. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. 
Uh, one, of, one, of, one of the questions of, we haven't gotten to yet is, what's your favorite part of the meta plot of the world? Mine, the Atlanteans. It's literally written there. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that was one of the things that uh, from that, I mean, we just didn't include one meta plot. We've included two between the Atlanteans and the uh, Arachnids coming in because you don't really know what happened or what's going on or why they're attacking. But they're really pissed about something. <laughs> yes. And you know the official party line. And you know it's a party line. But why is it the party line? But they're your friends. The computer is your friend. Oh, God. You know what? Wrong game, Dave. You've got me, Finko Trader. Yes. So, uh, go ahead. Zen, please. I've asked lots of questions. <laughs> so, I. I follow you guys on Twitter because, you know, that's what you do. And there has been um, a thing that you guys just recently did aside from Charlie Foxtrot that is a Savage World port. Yep, yep. That's, uh, we are, are working on a version of the Battle Lord settings that, setting that utilizes the Savage Worlds rule set. It's currently still in play testing. Um, it's, it's probably uh, it's relatively early in development, so it's probably a ways out. Uh, but yeah, that, that was um, uh, one of our newest projects, both to expand uh, the audience for Battle Lords and to give people who want a more uh, adventure-style game versus tactical uh, an option to play um, Battle Lords with, with that type of rule set. Yes, in this wonderfully rich setting that is glorious, uh, I do have kind of two questions left, and they're both fun questions. Is Uncle Ernie a classic or perfect embodiment of a chaotic evil force? And this may require explaining a little bit about Uncle Ernie in the process. Um, the answer to that is yes. Um, Uncle Ernie is a, uh, he's a human. Uh, I would describe him as a nihilistic genius. Uh, he, uh, used to work for the Alliance and legitimately got a raw deal from his employer in the government. Shocker. It's battle lords. Um, but took it very personally <laughs> and, uh, took his fortune and his genius and began making um, bioengineered monstrosities that he sells to the highest bidder or sometimes just lets loose for fun and games. Uh, And uh, you are not the only person who's asked us this question. We get that a lot. Um, You know, is, you know, does Uncle Ernie have some kind of underlying motivation? No, he's nuts. He's just crazy. That's, yeah, (laughs) he just enjoys his work. I could, I could just, I could just burn it down. Just want to watch the world burn. And that Uncle Ernie is behind the Fox that we mentioned earlier, who are anthropomorphic rabbit species that are available for play, who are often characterized as uh, uneducated rural and enjoying fighting. So that's an important part of the context because in a battle royale between a Fox, a Drools from RuneQuest, and a Gif from Starjammer, who do you think would win? So rabbit versus duck versus hippo. Hmm. I, I, I guess it depends if the rabbits get to bring the, <laughs> their guns. They bring their toys. Um, yes. I mean, the gifts yeah. can bring star jamming ships, so it's yeah. fair. 
Yeah, the the rabbits like their uh, their redneck shotguns and uh, and uh, missile launchers and pretty much whatever else they can get their hands on. If it I, shoots, I, and... the bigger the better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I would probably but couch my answer on how many people are fighting um because if, if, if it's a free-for-all then the fodder are going to win because there's just more of them <laughs> they, when, you, when you're when you're a hybrid rabbit you also reproduce like a like a hybrid, 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 hybrid rabbit yeah um uh but yeah the the, the uh, attrition would be horrific because they're not terribly bright and their favorite tactic would be like let's run at it <laughs> If one of the few things that I would like wager would be able to stand up to a ram python and, and not really bat it, its heavily mustachioed face much. Um, one thing I do want to mention, going back to the design of the book and the way it was presented, talking about the species, I appreciate that each one of the species when it's presented had uh, answers to a series of ideas or concepts, how they typically would approach something like time or money and what they culturally had as a background. It was a really small part of the page, but a great amount of kind of flavor and world building. And so whoever did that and came up with that, I appreciate it greatly. Those are actually uh, holdovers from prior editions. Um, and uh, if you look up, uh, which we're getting ready to reprint under our, quote, old school label, we're reprinting some of the sixth edition, the prior edition books. The first one we're reprinting is Galactic Underground 2, which has been long since out of print. Um, and in that, it has the same type of uh, question answer for each species, but there's like 20 or 30 questions for each species, as if someone is interviewing the species, asking them, you know, what do you think about war? What do you think about money? What do you think about family? Um, and there are pages and pages <laughs> of an questions and answers uh, for each species in Galactic Underground 2. And that's, that may be something that we eventually implement uh, in some form uh, in a future 7th edition book, because it, like, you, like you mentioned, it is a really easy and quick to establish how, how does this, this creature think? And as I've never had a copy of Galactic Underground 2 to even peruse because it's out of print, a thing of legend in some circles, not unlike other books, I'm probably going to have to get a reprint when, you, when the old school label comes up because that's just too much fun and, and the kind of thing I enjoy. Zen, I know we've been talking for a while, and I know we like to try to keep it tight-ish for our listeners. We have so much fun. Uh, do you have any other questions? Actually, I don't. Other than what is a great way for people to find you all over the interweb? Uh, we're on almost every social media. I mean, if you Google Battlelords, Battlelords Twitter, Battlelords Facebook, Battlelords Instagram, um, Battlelords Discord, uh, we're, we, you know, we've got all of them. Um, the, uh, we're, we're very active on the Discord. We're very active on Twitter. We're very active on Facebook. Um, if you're looking to learn more about the game itself, I would probably point you either towards our website, which is battlelords.com, um, or drive through RPG where you can download our quick start rules uh, and PDF versions of all of the books. The quick start rules are free. If you're not quite sure after reading the quick start rules, um, whether you want to get the book, we also have a free interior preview where you can look at all of the art um, that or most of the art that's in the, uh, in the core rule book, you can download it. Um, we tried to make this new book as much, 
coffee table art book as role playing game, um, and we put a lot of effort uh, in finding artists that could portray the Battle Wars universe through their through their artwork. So um, yeah, any any social media you're bound to find us, and uh, on our website battlewars.com or drive through RPG. Okay, and I guess I'll, I'll add to that because I, I I do want to kind of comment on something it's that uh we've we've talked a lot about there's a lot of backgrounds or very rich story uh background that's been built up over the years but i would say don't don't uh, to uh, any listeners never tried this game don't get hung up in that get the quick start rules get in there there's a reason we have all these these um themes because those themes are present in a lot of ways and you can leverage those and not have to worry about you know which orion mafia boss was involved in you don't you don't have to worry about that you can just say hey you know what there's going to be somebody evil it's uh really greedy it could be in a corporation it could be in a mafia it could be in a government it could be your boss you just there i need somebody greedy done you can you can take those themes and, and make this yours and build out the universe in a way you uh you want to play yeah i was gonna say because like i said i haven't looked at it in you know over 20 years and I picked up, you know, the book and just started reading it. And yeah, it all was just like, this is awesome. I don't have to think about what used to be. This is way better than what used to be. So even somebody that has had, you know, hasn't had experience in it for decades can still pick it up. And and that's one thing we wanted to do with Charlie Foxtrot, too, was give you an example of each one of the kind of the main ideas that people tend to play or main uh, scenarios people tend to play. You've got your mercs, you got your soldiers, you got your pirates, you've got colony inspectors, you've got uh, your espionage. So, I mean, it's kind of gives you five different things that you can do in this universe. And one of them, you never really have to fire a gun if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's really cool. I I've enjoyed everything that I've gotten to read so far, and eventually, whenever you know, all of the you know quarantining and social distancing kind of ends, I'm I'm gonna have to try to find a group of people to play with. <laughs> and my very last question is: Is there anything we didn't ask you about that you would like the listeners to know about you, Battle Lords? Charlie Foxtrot, or whatever may be coming next, with which you may now titillate us. Dave, I know you're good at this. You want to highlight a, a couple of, the, of your favorite species? Because I, I know we talk, we, we, we've rattled them all off by name, but we haven't really described um, them other than, uh, say, say, the fox. Yeah. So one of the nice things about um, Battle Lords is that, um, which we really kind of hinted at, but really didn't get into too much detail, when you look at um, a lot of the original sci-fi type shows, due to limitations of budget from a film or, or TV making perspective, everybody looks kind of like everybody else you'd see on the street with a little bit of makeup. Um, not, not, not so much in Battle Lords. Um, you, you have, you know, there's not everybody's bipedal. We have the cats um, who are definitely quadrupedal <laughs> and they can stand up, but mostly they don't. Um, the, the, uh, Sizzarek, as, as, as we call them, the battle cats, um, they're, uh, also not a male dominated society. The, the, the females are the ones that go out and are in charge of everything. It's a matriarchal society. They do things. The guys get to stay at home. That's where they belong. That's all they're good for. So just stay there, do what you're told and shut up. Uh, we've got this. Um, 
you've got your Eridani who are sword saints, uh, basically think uh, samurai-like, um, very code of honor driven. Um, and then the counterpoint to them is the Fintari, who are anything goes, if it works, it was illegal. In fact, their law system is, if you get away with it, it wasn't illegal. And if you get caught doing something that you shouldn't be doing, then you're just stupid and you're just a, a dishonor to your clan and the breed. So you need to go. We'll just take you off out back and we'll just find you some dirt to live in. Um, <laughs> lives a bit strong, but you get where I'm going. Occupy. <laughs> Occupy. Yeah. That's probably better way. Yeah. Um, you've got your Ram Pythons and uh, they like, they, uh, you know, big, huge, you know, eight to 10 foot tall, 800 pound, big guys uh you've got uh you've got your little guys you've got your wine little chitillions who really just want everybody to go away because they can hear your thoughts from a mile away and they really just want some quiet quiet it's too noisy i heard that you stop thinking that it's just driving me nuts um you've got your mitzakins who play with energy and are behind the scenes controlling a lot of things there's a lot of backstory about what's going on and made them decide to create an alliance of species that don't like each other. Um, what's their motivation and all that? Why are they giving away tech like this to the humans? Um, humans, obviously, we can play. And you've got genetically engineered humans who've got special little abilities. Uh, you've got your fought, who are redneck rabbits with guns. They, they just kind of sell themselves. They're just, a, they're just a hoot. They're just a hoot to play. Um, you've got your Rosette, who are these kind of tinkering um, insectoid creatures that don't have really a sense of social boundaries like we normally think of or possessions. They see something like, oh, that got left behind. That's mine. I like it. Oh, this is kind of useful. Let me tinker with that. Um, you've got the, uh, let's see, what I got? the Zen, who are these tall, skeletal-looking things. They look kind of like uh, basically a big skeleton that's working on you. Um, but they have these gifts in healing arts. Um, so psi powers, air quotes, spells. Um, these abilities that let them do things that really advance medical science. Um, so they're really loved. Um, but then they have this political group called the Za, who don't adhere with the keep everybody alive kind of a mantra. Um, so you can kind of think of it as those who are all really nice and happy to do the things necessary to keep everyone alive. Yes, I know you just shot him and he's our enemy, but... I still need to keep him alive. So please stop shooting him because I'm going to have to heal him more. And it's just going to take me longer. Can you just stop shooting him now, please? Um, and then you've got the political opponents into that government, which are called the ZA. And the ZA might just be that they jaywalked or did the equivalent of that. Or it may be that they're really best buds with Uncle Ernie and like to, you know, see how they can make sculptures out of people. Huh, that's funny. I didn't think I could do that with the arm. Let me try it again. See if I can do it twice. Um, so there's a lot of different species and they've each got an archetype that they fill, uh, and then, but you don't have to play within that archetype. Um, the nice thing about a skill-based system is that you can mold your character over time in the direction you want. You start off with one idea and then you go. So I, I strongly encourage people to get engaged with this game to start with something that they can identify, figure out what genre you're going to play in, figure out what kind of a character would fit in that genre pick a tv series or a movie or whatever and kind of go okay this is the kind of game style this is the kind of character in that game style that i'm going to be and then buy the skills and the equipment that would fit that and then as you go start playing and you have your different game sessions you start to go mm, gosh it'd be really handy if i could do x 
or it'd be really cool if I had Y as a piece of equipment because that would really be a handy thing. And then your character grows. Nice. And yeah. I think that's, yeah, that is a great way to kind of sum up the richness of the setting. And if you've stuck around this long because we were amusing, you love Battle Lords or uh, you love Zen and I, thank you for listening. And I want to definitely thank our guests that came in and chatted with us today and brought the, the love and joy of Battle Lords of the 23rd century, a 30 year old legacy game with a new edition that maintains its original feel and lets you tell a wide variety of wonderful stories in a universe rich with conspiracy, infighting, metaplot, if, like me, you're kind of attracted to that really neat big concept hiding over there in the corner, or just a planet over there to explore. So thank you for coming in. And Zen? Have fun, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our topic. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.